before we get to today's Stranger Things podcast, let's take a quick second to thank our friends over at TrueCar. 60 seconds. That's exactly how long this commercial lasts. You know what else you can do in about a minute? Get an offer for your car with TrueCar. That's right. In the amount of time it takes to floss your teeth, pet your demodog, do a few sit-ups, or just listen to my voice, you can get a true cash offer. Best of all, you can do it from your smartphone or home. Just go to TrueCar and simply enter your license plate number and watch how your car's details pop up. Answer a few questions and you'll get an accurate true cash offer from a local True Car certified dealer. It's that easy. After that, you can bring your car in and they'll check it out with you together. You can ask questions and get the answers you need so there's no surprises. Then simply leave with your check or trade in your car for a new ride. So when you're ready to experience a better way to sell or trade in your car, check out True Car today. Stranger Things 3, Chapter 6, E Pluribus Unum, is over. But we're just getting started here on Post Show Recaps. Hello, everybody. I am Josh Wiggler, and whew, I'm so sorry, Mike. Uh, I screwed up your Slurpee order, Mike Bloom. You know, Josh, if we weren't tied back-to-back right now, I would throttle you, like many characters are apparently being throttled this season of Stranger Things, I put it out while we were watching it. It really is like the the choking season. This Choke- is the season of the, the eye choke is back, Antonio. Yeah, it's choking and goo are the two uh, major oh light God. motifs of Stranger. It's really Things more goo three. than choking, I think. Uh, it's really a very gooey season of Stranger Things and a very gooey ending uh, as we are getting into uh, the climax of Stranger Things. Three only two episodes left. After this, Chapter 6, which we once thought was called The Birthday. It is not. But it's like a birthday of sorts. Yeah, wait. So let's think about this. Is... What? <laughs> <laughs> why was this originally called the birthday? Yeah, is that why what it, it is? Called the birthday? Well, it's the it's the mind flayers like birthday monster. It's the monster's birthday. Which, by the way, uh, I do believe I had said uh, once upon a time. I think it's going to be a monster birthday. Mm. Uh, so uh, I don't know. I don't know how you. Yeah, I think that beats my theory about Mike uh, having a weird like time displacement seizure because the clown at the birthday party is Pennywise from it. So I think we're three and three right now. Wow, we're all tied up, much like Robin and Steve. I think we're three and three. We're tied up like Robin and Steve. Like we are tied up to this chair. Happy uh, final week of full blown Stranger Things coverage and full bloom Stranger and Things. full bloom Stranger Things coverage as it has been. Uh, we are we are getting very close to the finish line. We've got two more uh, main season podcasts in sight as well as that feedback show. Uh, we will have our episode seven podcast posting July 17th. Our final uh, our season finale podcast will post on July 19th. Feedback special coming your way July 24th. As we've said so many times, it's exhausting. I know. I'm so sorry. Just feels good to repeat everything much like stranger things tends to do uh we would like your feedback because we cannot take it live as we are recording these podcasts for the feedback show postshowrecaps.com slash feedback is our feedback form you can tweet at us at postshowrecaps i'm at ron howard mike's at a mike bloom type and mike there's just so much happening in this episode that to dilly dally any further would be uh uh that that i would have to create my own whole like trauma storm just about that yeah, I was going to say, I know Mayor Klein was going to therapy, which uh, I know you and I, both as mental <laughs> yes. health advocates, are like Welcome, all Welcome, Mayor of. Klein. Maybe this will be good for you. Absolutely. Yes. Uh, but it seems like, you know, maybe what Elle went through with Billy in ex- uh, exposing the source was like, that felt like a therapy exercise, you know? Like, take it, here's a fi- here's a manifestation of a storm. Put all of your best and worst memories into it to, to show who you became as a person. Yes. Now imagine Perry beating Eleven. Yeah, no, I no. feel like... No! <laughs> I'm sorry. Oh, God, that's awful. Get away, that's Eleven! Awful. That's awful. Get a new apartment! I don't like Perry's odds up against... Uh, up against. No, those beautiful teeth are going to get smashed yeah, in Yeah, Perry's her. in trouble. Perry's in big trouble. Anyone who goes up against Eleven is in big trouble. Though Eleven herself may, again, uh, you know, proving to have met her match in, in Billy uh, as, like, the, the prime host... 
for the mind flare. The mouthpiece, yeah. The mouthpiece, indeed, with a little bit of the dirt lip stash. Uh, mind flare <laughs> likes a likes a like we've said mind business in, business it. in the front, party in the back. Mind flare likes it dirty. Look, they wouldn't have <laughs> he people, likes it cold and dirty. They wouldn't like people like uh, gnawing on chemicals if he didn't like a little, little dirty. And I think that that's why he wants to keep a little bit of the the John Waters stash going on. So basically, everybody except for Billy, who's been possessed by the mind flare, all of the flayed are now goo. There's one gigantic goo monster that apparently knows where Eleven is uh, by the end of this episode. So that's a good setup for the final two, right? Like, I feel like we're we're definitely queued up for a pretty climactic showdown here in the in the final stretch. Yeah, stakes are at all-time high when it comes to the main uh, monster thing, considering that, yeah, after, you know, evading it for so long, now the Mind Flayer, I guess via this goo monster, knows where Eleven is. So it feels like that we've gotten, as I mentioned before, I feel like uh, Max or L versus Billy was like a battle. Yeah. I think we're now facing like our war. Yeah. You know, like we had our Lexington and Concord. Like this is like. Hopefully uh, Fat Rambo time. shows up in time for the war. That would be, uh, we don't want to miss out on that. Yeah, though, I mean, Fat Rambo, Alexi doubted even Fat Rambo's abilities to see if he could gain first blood from this. Yes, all right, so let's talk about the episode. We end with massive goo monster. We begin with a goo monster as well that we thought was a massive yeah, goo monster. Yeah, bookended goo monster. Yeah, goo, goo uh, you know, plenty, plenty of goo with which goo to... Goo-ended. Yeah, we're in, we're in a very gooey situation here, a sticky situation as uh, the goo of Tom and Bruce... They are combined as one horrible, gross monster that comes after Nancy and Jonathan uh, at the at the start of the episode. Although I guess before that, there's everything that's going on at the gate. Uh, if we just want to talk about that really quickly, yeah, the uh, AKA the like stupidest Russian henchman well, I've seen in any like piece of pop culture. It's recently. really it's really funny because like like we said, it was kind of like. Dustin and the company, like the, the the scooper troopers, they were wandering through the Russian base almost like they were Harry Potter on like the luck potion, right? Where or, on, or under the invisibility cloak. Yeah, they're like, everything's fine. No one's going to catch us. Everything's good. And then suddenly they get caught and they still were able to like run free yeah. <laughs> for a good minute and a half to two minutes <laughs> yeah, they before they had, got like, caught. They had like free run of the facility. Not only that, Steve and Robin were able to hold back a door for quite some time from, I would count like at least five full grown men while the others were able to escape, like we, I know they're like pushing barrels. They're yeah. like they're buying time for Dustin and Erica to escape. Nobody is able to find Dustin and Erica. They're children. These are highly sophisticated, allegedly trained Russian operatives, and they can't find two children. I don't know. Maybe they don't have that much experience with children. You know, that's that like might te- be it. teenagers are close enough to adults where it's a good territory, but like they do not like children. Yeah. So that might, I mean, maybe it's also just like we're, we're really underestimating Dustin and Erica. I, you know, we, we, we should believe them when they show us who they are. Erica can, can eat 16 pieces of, of ice cream offerings. She has uh, 16 different items on the Scoops Ahoy menu that she is able to consume in one sitting without having to go to the bathroom. Dustin was able to build Cerebro and apparently uh, take it down without the help of his friends so he must be both super intelligent and super strong and by the end of the episode we see him use a, a, an object of deadly force to take down russian guards and cause a huge uh, mess of distress within the base itself so these are really like uh dustin and erica they're like you know secret agents in training like in in the future uh they will be some of the most powerful people on earth don't tease me, bro. They already yeah. It was a to, it was a total don't tease me, bro moment. Uh, it was like that was like a cattle prod though, was it? And I guess they yeah. were using it for like I was intrigued by what Erica was asking about with the demogorgon. Was it that the cage she was looking at was used to hold a demogorgon once upon a time, and she the cattle prod was I guess to like manipulate it? We got to talk about that. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, so Dustin and Erica they they abandon um they abandon Stephen Robin who who decide to stay back because they're not going to be able to fit into the vents and escape the way that Dustin and Erica are going to escape we will get into them in a little bit uh we go back to the hospital this is where the goo battle is going to start uh hospital lights they're flickering will notices it's a total he likes it cold moment <laughs> he's here and it's so cold and that's how i know oh boy yes i i just love like i i hopefully there's cgi goose pimples because i can't imagine like having a definitely not yeah. ice on that yeah, boy's no neck to be like in action all right let's get the goosebumps going on uh, that's a terrible job to just be like all right noah schnapp well it's that time to film the scene where you're sensing the coldness of the mind flare so we just gotta we gotta dab you with a couple of ice cubes seems uh that seems like uh, operation child endangerment uh <laughs> as as erica might might call it uh so they know that something's going on uh so they're gonna be able to to Except, get uh, listen i really 
hope that this receptionist got assimilated. If I'm being completely I, honest, I assume that she's toast. Yeah, I think either that or liquefied. she's fired. Like liquefied. she should be fired. She's either fired or dead. Uh, so your bloodlust will be satisfied either way. <laughs> yes. If she's fired, she's not getting employed anywhere anytime soon. So it's a it's a slower death. Uh, yeah. So, so what happened at the last hospital you worked at? Oh yeah, everybody died on my watch, and I allowed a goo monster to run ra- uh, rampant uh, around the entire hospital. So, but I'm really uh, a people person. Yeah, I'm a people person. I'm not really into the goo monsters. Uh, the goo monsters attack Nancy and Jonathan. We learn a little bit more about their skill set. Uh, the goo monster can slide through. Uh, the cracks and crevasses yeah, and doors. Yeah, if, if Arnie's our uh, OG Terminator, then I guess this it's the, the Goomonster. This is the 2000. Yeah, yeah. it's the 2000 for sure. Uh, it like, it get it, it like slips through a door that is protecting Nancy and then like solidifies as a gigantic thing. And rather than like skewer Nancy or, you know, turn her into one of the flayed, it just like punches her in the ribs. Which I thought was a really mean thing maybe, for the monster to do. Maybe that was the Bruce part of the monster, like, getting revenge on her. It does do a nice little, like, T-Rex-esque scream in her face, spit flying everywhere. Very but, primal. But yeah, it is interesting that it does choose not to assimilate her in the mo- I thought back in episode five, when we saw Mitch's, Mrs. Driscoll hulk out again while Billy was hulking out, that that would be a moment where Nancy could get taken. I think, I think that could have been an interesting wrinkle yeah. in the story. Uh, but no, I guess they just choose to... Nancy has that plot armor, which I guess fortifies her from being bashed up against the wall as well true 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 uh so 11 shows up and she tears up the monster throws it out and then they go outside and they see that the monster uh is gooifying away and like slipping into the underground not the upside down uh but meets up with some other peeps from the upside down and shows up to billy and billy's like all right cool it's time i think he says it exactly like that that's a great line like surfer batman uh to take your batman voice it's time (laughs) i don't think that's that's not even surfer i like billy had problems with my parents yeah namely that they're dead yeah i mean billy has got a little bit of shades of dark batman in here super villain origin story in this episode so that's the cold open it's a gooey open um then it takes us to a storyline that we haven't had in isolation yet Mayor Mike. Klein presents Fun Fair. Well, we get to see the fair a little bit. We get to see uh, we get to see the Mayor Klein story and the Terminator story without any of the other characters. You know, this has been very easy to track based on just like following the main character storylines. As far as I can tell, this is the first storyline, uh, the first scene, other than the cold open of the whole season, uh, which was the, the the Cold War open. That it's just it's just people who aren't main characters. There's not a single main character in sight unless you want to call Mayor Klein a main character. Um, but he and the Terminator meet. They have a, a clandestine meeting in the Gravitron. Were you ever a Gravitron guy, Mike? You know, I did it once. And I'm I'm okay when it comes to loops and motion sickness and things like that. But I, it doesn't seem particularly fun to me. Roller coasters, you at least get, like, the fun air rushing through you and the, the dips, as Will described it earlier, where we essentially feel like we're getting taken over by the mind flare every time you take a drop. Here, you're just, like forced back and spun wildly it doesn't feel as entertaining to me uh and i'm assuming mayor klein certainly did not have as nearly of an entertaining time as maybe he would have considering the circumstances in which he wrote it flashback long island 1999 uh we're going into the storm of my mind here uh pudgy josh wiggler uh eighth eighth grade seventh grade eighth grade eighth grade josh wiggler bordering on ninth grade uh, Josh Wiggler. You were uh, 13 going on 14? A, 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 a young lad, uh, very excited to go to the local fair with a few friends, including his, uh, his, his middle school junior high crush at the time, mm. who's, uh, for the sake of this story, uh, her identity shall be, held, shall be preserved as a secret. Very excited, uh, eating some lunch before going out. Got some oh, no. leftover Chinese food in the fridge, <laughs> Mike, some fried rice, some pork fried rice is in there. It's just a great time. Uh, very excited, very nervous, like butterflies in the stomach because, uh, young Josh Wiggler has a real serious crush on, on this person and is very excited to spend the day with her and other friends. Goes to the fair, uh, young Josh Wiggler and his crush and some like third to a completely random individual, uh, a younger child than us even, uh, get crammed into the zipper. Do you remember the zipper? Oh. The zipper was a ride where it's like a cage. It's like a coffin yes. uh, built for like three people. And it's, 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 uh, it's grafted onto this like moving thing that like the cages themselves swivel as the entire apparatus swivels in a different direction. Yeah, it's like a gyroscope type of thing. It's a mess. It's a disaster. It's so terrifying. It's so exciting as a kid. Uh, young Josh and the other kid 
kid are like screaming their lungs out. Young Josh looks over and notices that his crush has seemingly passed out no, in the middle of the <laughs> ride. Young Josh is very, very afraid. Young Josh is very relieved when his crush in the midst of all of this madness suddenly wakes up and starts screaming in joy from everything as well. Doesn't really question what's happened, but it's a very scary moment. They talk about it after they get off the ride. Josh's crush doesn't seem to remember but laughs it all off. Uh, neither here nor there. Now feeling emboldened by surviving what seemed like a very harrowing ordeal, Josh and his crush and other friends get onto the Gravitron, go spinning. The Gravitron, as the name implies, defies gravity and mm-hmm. makes in like glues you to these seats, uh, much like Mayor Klein as he's just getting tortured by the Terminator here. Uh, if you're not strapped in, that's a nightmare. Don't know how the Terminator is still standing. Uh, young Josh Wiggler gets off the Gravitron afterwards, walks about five feet, and throws up all of the Chinese food right in front of his crush. Now, look, you could have easily said, like, look, Missy, if you want to judge, let's go for tit for tat here. Like, considering you literally lost consciousness on the last ride. Yeah, Josh Wiggler's uh, uh, friend and Josh Wiggler's crush then proceeded to uh, embark on a brief relationship while Josh Wiggler sadly watched from the sidelines. Do you think they, uh, it was all, it was all because of the gravity. It was a bonding moment. Yeah, probably. Cause like, Oh, look, he had, he look at, he, he ate Chinese food before he got on here. He ate all that fried rice. He couldn't keep it down. It's a miserable fellow. Well, I think, look, everything happens for a reason. We are shaped by our memories. I think it's safe. Three months later, Josh Wiggler's crush was his first kiss. So it all worked out in the end. Everything was fine. Wait, what? Everything was great. The, the relationship between her and my friend, it didn't work out for a long time. Oh, wow. Well, it was a short, it was, it was a, a short, very short, short time. Short time period. Short time, short time. That was the, that's what the Gravitron reminds me of every single so time. So unlike, Deeply embarrassing. unlike Stranger Things, love seemed to be dead at that time. Yes, yes. Oh, God. It was, it was a, it was a non-starter. Uh, but that's the story. And I feel like I had it slightly worse than Mayor Klein has it here. As he, uh, as he, like me, embarks on a, on a therapeutic ride, thanks to the Gravitron. He says, I have a bad temper. I'm going to therapy for it. And the Terminator allows him to live. Yeah. Uh, I do love also Klein just being like, Hopper's a moron. Yeah. Like, listen, I'm going to find him. No problem. Spoiler alert. He does not get found. Uh, I guess, I don't know, what, who would who would Klein send? Would he, like, I guess he put out an APB? Would he send the two... Uh, derpy cops that assist Hopper out to find him? Yeah. I'm not entirely sure what his plan would be, or if he was just in true Klein fashion, talking out of his uh, nicely dimpled butt. Yes. How do we know that it's a nicely dimpled butt? We have to assume. He's a very nicely dimpled man. It's Carrie always. He probably does have a... We don't want to speculate too much, but uh, dimples are are very likely, highly likely. Uh, Let's talk about uh, Hopper, the aforementioned Hopper, because uh, there's some some antics, shenanigans, even... (laughs) Here at the start of this episode, as Hopper returns from some operation of his own, uh, he is he operation is in, BK. He has infiltrated the nearby Burger King and has brought it back in his mouth, so that it was in in the the line of sight for the camera for that perfect product placement moment. Did has did Burger King do a Stranger Things promotion? I know we talked about Baskin Robbins. Off the top of my head, I'm not sure, but I mean that that's not you know. They're, that's not in there you, you unless don't there's think some money exchanging like a, hands. You don't think they put out like an upside down burger? This is burger, like a Starcourt Mall conspiracy, Mike. They should just put out an upside down burger, which is just a burger upside down. Oh, and, yeah. And market it to Stranger Things. It's two burgers with a bun in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> and the ketchup and the mustard are on the outsides of the burgers, too, so you have to get your hands covered in condiments. Yeah, and you have to eat it in blindfolded. Order to eat it. Yeah, that's right. You'll get a nosebleed for sure. You won't have telekinesis, unfortunately, so it's uh, it's really uh, not worth it. I loved this scene. And I know that like I might be speaking out of both sides of my dimpled butt, uh, because I know <laughs> that in the first two episodes, I, was, I really was not a fan of like Dad Hopper sort of doing like the, I don't like this, Mike. I better drive him away. But for some reason, Angry Hopper here, I just laughed my ass off at everything that was going on here just because he was steaming. I mean, I think he needs to invest. uh, Maybe Mayor Klein can recommend him and all said and done to his therapist because it's very clear that Jim's temper is just flaring while he's dealing with, you know, waiting for Alexi to give out this intel. And it just... This is just such a fun scene. I mean, it really ebbs and flows, spins around like a Gravitron where, you know, you think he's being marketed as this idiot who let the guy go, but it turns out his read of Alexi was completely correct. There's a lot of interesting stuff to unpack from this scene. I also love that Woody Woodpecker was on in the background. There's like all the slapstick comedy in the cartoon as like you can imagine with like the dead stare focus of Hopper looking at the TV that he was just imagining the physical violence he would like to unleash upon Alexi. That was really, really funny. Uh, Josh, Cherry and Strub 
strawberry Slurpees, same taste? Negligible taste? No, I think that there's probably a discernible taste. Uh, I think that, that, you know, I would probably be, be fine insofar as I was a Slurpee man. I'm not really. Uh, I don't really like the syrupy, icy thing. I'm sure Erica would have you know <laughs> that there's a very big difference between... Erica would just fill up the cup with syrup and drink it. She would she probably it. eat them both no matter what, but she would tell you which one she enjoyed more. Uh, she definitely seems like she is uh, somebody who is well-versed in the frozen treats. Uh, so she would, she would know, she would know, uh, I will, I will, I will say that I, I, I thought that, uh, that him calling it shit strawberry, uh, was, was very funny. Uh, I, I'm a big strawberry fan myself and, uh, to imagine anyone saying shit strawberry about strawberry just seems like, a uh, a real thumbs down. Like I would never prioritize cherry over strawberry. Personally. See, I would, per- I'm a cherry person. You're I would prioritize man. cherry above strawberry personally. Yeah. So you and Alexi are, are closely aligned. I, w- and th- I would say that there was a lot of comedic potential in this scene. I would say something that I wish we had was, you know, you do have Murray as the go between here as the translator. I kind of wish he had sort of made his own with his translations. Like, he was a very faithful translator. Which is, I had which, that which note. Do, which doesn't feel like Murray, though, right? He, it was, you know, it will kind of made the scene. I mean, I, I enjoyed the scene, but it felt it ended up being longer than it ac- yes. actually needed to be. And that's the thing, though, because I, Murray is just like parroting it back both ways. Very, very, with, like, high fidelity to both sides of the conversation. Exactly. Like, I, so I think there could have been some potential in there to write in some of yes. the, the remarks that he was making. You know, like, if he says shit strawberry, Murray could be like, he loves it. Yeah, exactly. You know, like, because, again, that just feels very Murray, very snide, very sarcastic, very, uh, you know, above it all. And and I feel like he would be above it all to have to, you know, be this go-between for these two different parties. But he seems fine to it, but like you said, I mean, the it ends up being the episode longer, probably. Actually, yeah, I mean, when you to the runtime was padded out. Well, it was a fifty-nine minute episode, which is a little bit longer than what we've been dealing with here in the past few, at the very least. Um, you know, teasing ahead, the, the finale looks like it's going to be pretty long. But the, this episode, do you is, think it's going to be Murray translating all? the Yeah, missions? probably. <laughs> so I think like we could pretty safely say that Murray and Alexi are going to make it to the finale because they have to have like a twenty-minute scene together. <laughs> Uh, so I, I agree with you. I think it would have been funnier if Murray translated it a little bit differently, but if he was not going to do that, uh, then we probably could have just, you know, yada yada this a little bit faster. It is really funny. The scene where, uh, Alexi tries to escape and then it's like, nah, I'm not going to do it. And then we get to Murray basically doing a Mr. Clark impression, right? Like trying to like, kind of like give sort of the, the flea on the tightrope, uh, and the acrobat and the flea and the blah, blah, blah. Uh, and he basically informs us that the Russians are trying to tap into this other world by way of a gate that is uh, in Hawkins because it is closed, but it's healing. It's not like fully healed. Mm -hmm. It's scabbed over. It's scabbed over, but you can still peel off the scab, apparently. Yeah, and then that blood comes oozing out, and you say, why did I pick at that? I could have waited a few more days. Could have waited a little while. Um, But I think that, you know, using the... Not the BK necessarily affiliated, but using a straw and a nice canister of fries, they were able to sort of demonstrate the permeability that the Hawkins Gate presents. And I guess something uh, that we can officially coin our little beacon reactor thing, it's officially called the key. Should we call it that from now on? Uh, Yeah, I guess that's the key. Uh, the, the key masters and the gatekeepers, those are yet to be determined. I mean, there was some possession in this season as well. So I feel like the Ghostbusters thing, I know they dressed up like them a season before. That's right. It seems, still seems like a through line it's here. Still, it's still a through line here. So I, I, I love when Hopper like kind of like pieces together like, oh, God, this stuff isn't over yet. No. <laughs> uh, the return of Murray's vodka, one of your favorite plot points from last season. Oh, man, Murray, what a creeper. Uh, at least like drinking with people of his own age this time. So that's fair. <laughs> uh, but yeah, <laughs> I love Hopper. Hopper's in, in need of whiskey, no whiskey, there's vodka, takes a couple of shots of vodka uh, and figures out, all right, well, so the plan is going to be take me to your leader, essentially, right? Like, yeah. take me to the base, show me where it is. I'm a badass. I'm wearing a Magnum PI shirt. I'm going to be fine. I have a gun in my butt crack. I have a gun. I'm ready to do this. Uh, and uh, Alexi appreciates his bravery, but thinks he's ridiculous. He calls him Fat Rambo. <laughs> Which is a hilarious, like Khaleesi style title for for Hopper. If we're accumulating such things, was uh, was Alexi predicting 2000s era Sylvester Stallone before it happened? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Uh, he says even thin Rambo wouldn't be able to get into the base. And he like hypes up the fortress. 
uh, as like this impenetrable thing. Like no one's ever going to be able to get there. There's so many highly trained officers. And then the show very uh, amusingly cuts to the scuba troopers. Uh, like they've they've cut. You know they're they're caught at this point, but they had made it, uh, which I think is is funny. And again, just like kind of a scathing indictment of the Russians. Yeah. In this show, this is a very pro-America uh, Stranger Things. Well, listen, you don't, Josh. You don't recently release it on the Fourth of July and call one episode E Pluribus Unum unless you're very pro. We're taking down uh, the the Russians. The USSR is in the is in the U.S.'s sights in this episode. Uh, really taking some pot shots in uh, this Cold War. There's a little bit more business in the Hopper and Joy storyline. Uh, as... Yeah, yeah. Can we talk about the Philadelphia Public Library? Yeah, which I guess is like the hotline uh, for, for for what for what for your upside down uh, distress calls. But like, okay, uh, this so... is Doctor Owens's uh, direct direct line yeah, of communication. So I, I mean, I I think this is a Paul Reiser by mention only. I don't think we're getting uh, him in. This... I don't know. I feel like the fact that they're mentioning him, like I don't I don't think that they would call him out specifically if they weren't going to bring him back. No, I, I mean, I guess what would he do? Because I guess they called him to bring in reinforcements. And I guess, you know, you and Antonio had wondered, how do we bring Owens into this? Is it, does he work for like a shady government organization? And that's why they're using these coded phrases? Yeah, that maybe they're like keeping tabs on the whole situation from afar, uh, even if they're closed down or like he's at least connected enough to be like, oh, that's a big deal. I'm going to have to work on this now. Um, so I don't know. I mean, he must, he must still be pretty dialed in. Well, because I know he did say when he was, uh, you know, hanging out with Hopper and in the finale of season two, he's like, you know, I'm out of a job. And I guess he was able to pick up one somewhere. But yeah, it's, I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, things reminiscent of spy movies in this season, especially with the Scooper Troopers. But I don't know. The coded stuff is very odd, though Hopper has proved himself to be one of the worst spies imaginable. <laughs> I love that he calls them, he hangs up, he's called for reinforcements, and Joyce can't handle the fact that they're not coming right away. So within a minute, she has to call them back. She's the wheelbarrow to uh, to Hopper's antique chariot. Yes, exactly. Very funny. I, I, I did like that. I was a little nervous at first because I thought that means they'd be so fed up that they'd call off the, the whatever attention they would send. But no, it seems like Joyce's intentions were actually very true. You know, she's a den mother. If anything but, and, uh, you know, she decided, okay, I need to make sure that my kids aren't in danger for the umpteen time in a row. So she really tells them to put the pedal to the metal there. And hopefully that means that we'll get some uh, government agents, you know, paratrooping in on the fun fair come the season finale to help out with everything. So let's cut to the Russian base. Uh, Robin and Steve, they are being interrogated. Uh, interrogation takes the form of Steve just getting punched repeatedly. Poor guy. Well, listen, I think, you know. He needed a lot of ice cream to nurse those wounds. Maybe from a well after like those cracked teeth, he's gonna he's gonna need to eat nothing but the soft the softest of creams or or breadsticks or breadsticks. He's gonna have to gum those breadsticks uh, in the, in uh, the near poor future. Steve, you know what? He was on a high. He finally beats somebody up and then just gets his ass whooped. He's three for three now for seasons in terms of getting beat up. You know the 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 king falls right. Like it's the it's the classic story. You live long. You either die a hero or blah 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 blah. That's your line. You're the Batman guy what yeah <laughs> so steve <laughs> steve gets his butt kicked uh they're they're gonna they're gonna leave them they're gonna bring the doctor says robin we know that the doctor is basically the russians uh saeed Jarrah, who's gonna come in and and hook them up with some truth serum before that there's a little bit of a truth session between robin and steve as they are trying to escape they they move their chairs they're they've got a great plan three strides and it's a and it's a goose egg because they tip over and it's here that robin brings up uh clickety quack Clickety yeah, Clackety. This is Clickety Clackety. Uh, who is uh, one of their teachers. They Which were in the same class like together. It would be, all right, I might be a little bit off the road, beaten path here, but I'm imagining some sort of animated show for children about like anthropomorphic trains. Mm. And they would go to a school and like Mrs. Clickety Clackety is like their teacher. So Steve and Robin had a train teacher, a, a humanoid <laughs> train. Yes, they have a living train. A living train was their teacher, which was like a perfectly normal thing that they've never commented on. Uh, but we're going to take it at face value. I cannot wait until the season finale when, okay, here's the monster. It's going on to L 11. 
here comes a big old headlight. Mrs. Clickety Clackety comes barreling in to take out the monster and saves the day. I mean, Catherine O'Hara for Mrs. Clickety Clackety. I think that's the perfect. I think we found it. I think we got it. There we go. Duffer Brothers. Duffer Brothers, call us. Catherine O'Hara as Mrs. Clickety Clackety, the human train woman. We got the scoops ahoy. Uh, they talk about that, and Robin talks about how she used to be obsessed with Steve. She sat behind him. He used to eat a BC on a sesame seed bagel that every morning my, for that breakfast. That is my order. That's a classic order. I feel strong seen. order. Strong order. Strong order. Though uh, I don't know. I mean, I guess uh, he has a he's a young man. He has a good metabolism. But having that like two times a week. Yeah, I mean, my body obviously becomes what it becomes. So he's uh, he was balling a lot. So I guess he was working all that. Exactly. Off. But she says, I can't believe I'm going to die in a Russian bunker with Steve the Hare Harrington, which launches her on how she used to be obsessed with him and all this stuff. And uh, she's like, you were a real a-hole. You were soups popular. And he's like, yeah, but being popular was overrated. And it's kind of crazy what people tell you to prioritize. And it's just like the the continuing adventures of the mega woke Steve Harrington. I think that Steve Harrington is the favorite character of the creators of Stranger Things. Yes. I feel like they're constantly using Steve Harrington as like the avatar of their own uh, quote unquote increasing wokeness. Mm. Where it's like Steve, like he's this popular guy. He seems like he's just too cool for school. But you cut deeper into the guy. He's sensitive. You know, he he doesn't care about such social structures at the end of the day. He's a moldable man. You tell him your truth and he's here to hear it. Well, it's interesting. I feel like for all the pastiches that the Duffer Brothers set up of these 80s pieces of pop culture, I feel like Steve is the best mouthpiece to sort of disseminate that. Yeah. Right? Like, he is that, you know, preppy jock that we see in all these high school movies. But the fact that he is someone who at the end of every season is like, I behaved badly. This is what I need to do to be a better person. I feel like it really subverts the expectations that we get from those stock characters as opposed to like, you know, we've seen nerds dominate beforehand in 80s culture. You know, we've seen girl power. We've seen abandoned misfits come together and succeed. Uh, This is really an opportunity to sort of demystify that trope. I really love these scenes. Maybe it's because there was a key cog missing from the Robin character and that's like who she was in high school. And I loved her sort of admitting you know, things while she comes off as sort of like smart. School was tough. Yeah. And, and while she comes off as like super smarmy and sarcastic and, you know, smart in Scoops Ahoy, it turns out that she was actually, you know, uh, she was nervous. A, yeah. She was a nervous person. You yeah. know, she has, she has flaws. She, she says her life is one big error. It was a really cool characterization to see. And for all of the high pumping action that you spoke about that sort of has uh, colored the last few episodes, this is an opportunity for two characters to quite literally sit down and just talk things through. And it was a really cool moment. I feel like their relationship has been building super organically over the course of the season, so much so that I'm actually rooting for the two of them. I, I just thought this all played out really, really nicely, especially when we get that truth serum involved. So what's what's something that, I, that I'm thinking about is it's just it's the Stranger Things move. And we've already talked about how Billy's a, he's flayed. He's, you know, he's not long for this Billy world. Billy Flay's here. Billy Flay is definitely not going to make it, right? Like, he's definitely going to be toast by the end of the season. Um, but, but Stranger Things has always, like, done the thing where they, like, they kill off one beloved person a season. It was Barb in season one. It was uh, Bob. It was Bob. <laughs> so but luckily, there's nobody with the similar name. season two. I mean, it would be Billy, I guess, just to stick with the yeah, B. Yeah, triple B theory. The triple B. Uh, but do you think that there's a beloved person who's going to die and if so, how worried would you be for for Robin, especially after a moment like this where she kind of like confesses uh, to some of her vulnerabilities? If she goes by Ben, maybe that theory holds water. Yeah. I think that, to your point, if they feel like Steve is an analog for the creators, they want to see him happy. You know, he ended season two with like a friendship with Dustin, but otherwise uh, he, he, he broke up with Nancy, who he really loved. I think they want a happy ending for Steve Harrington this season. So I would be remiss if I didn't say that they both obviously survive, make their way out of the headquarters, escape whatever dangers may happen, and then they end up, you know, getting together by the end of the season. Right. I could very well see that. It feels like, you know, I really hope Maya Hawk is in for the long haul. Yeah, I love her. She's great. Because I think she does a really great job here, and she's a very different character. So uh, that's my hope. And yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm hesitant to say that they... I, I don't know. They might... I think Billy might be their death here. I think that might be the triple B because I, I really cannot see any other member of this ensemble getting killed this season. Okay, so we're going to get some truth serum in these peeps. Uh, but first, I think we could turn to Dustin and Erica, who, who first... Er, Erica is outed as a nerd, uh, specifically <laughs> through My Little Pony. Is that right? So Dustin 
uh, I guess, invented the brony. I yeah. think we realize that now. <laughs> yeah, brony inventor Dustin. So this is so interesting because you talked about how, you know, they want to... Erica was such, like, a, a lauded character last season. That they're like, okay, we got to bring more Erica in. All right, what do we know about Erica? She calls everybody nerds. Okay, let's uh, let's do something on that. And so they make this whole extended scene where Dustin shatters her worldview by calling her a nerd because she's good with numbers, she knows economic terms, and she loves My Little Pony. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, I don't know exactly what that's going to mean for her. It felt a little superfluous, like not really necessary. It looks like we were taking like the meme behind the character and trying to break it down, which I don't feel is necessary sometimes, but I thought it was enjoyable enough. It was enjoyable enough. I, I think Erica's so rarely like taken down. That to have that moment where she's taken down a peg or two, I think is fun. And I do, I do love the incredulous or incredulity that Dustin tells her this whole story, and she her one sticking point is, wait, Lucas got involved in all this. I know that's that's why she doesn't believe him, and that's why she's a nerd because all this mystical stuff happens in the popular culture she consumes, but she cannot believe that her own brother would be doing so that. funny. It's so great. Uh, so they come into a room. It's where he's going to find the cattle prod, but I think like the bigger deal is they find this cage that's Demogorgon size. Uh, and as far as we know, the Demogorgon's dead. A Demogorgon's dead. Now, are there, are, there, are there still multiple Demogorgons out there? Would the Demodogs have evolved into full-blown Demo- Demogorgons eventually? Mm, that's a good question, because we've seen it go from, like, tadpole to four-legged We never saw creature. that, right? Yeah, and I guess if we're going up, like, the evolutionary scale, it could be, like, the Cro-Magnon. Uh, yeah. Demogorgon. I do wonder because I did think that was a strange thing, and I wonder if it hinted towards maybe. I don't know when we heard the alarms go off, I thought that maybe, and maybe that is the case that uh, they released a Demogorgon into the into the Russian facilities so that they, you know, fearless leader and well, all of his disciples I, would get distracted. I doubt that because it wasn't in the cage, but it, it suggested to me that either the Russians once had a Demogorgon and then they lost it which would be terrifying, or maybe they have a Demogorgon on site already that when they need to, like, study it in close quarters, they're able to, like, bring it into, like, this steel trap Mm. and study it more closely, or maybe they are anticipating the capture of a Demogorgon. And I wonder if this is just an Easter egg, if this is just like, uh, oh, everyone knows what this would be, this would be, you know, the same exact size of the Demogorgon, or is it, like, a sign that we will get back into Demogorgon territory eventually? Oh, my God, your theory of reverting back, we're Going all the way back to season one. Now I mean, we're bringing back the Demogorgon. That would be fun, but I, I think we'll it'd be, see. I think it would be interesting to see like a gaggle of them. Yeah, like a, like a bunch of Velociraptors. The Demogorgon posse. Yeah, well, it, sort of like from your from your They can be the Ninja Turtles, <laughs> the Ninja Gorgons with little colored bandanas. Yeah, just tied to, to, them. to to mark them all. It's like well, it's like the Raptors. Like blue is is Chris Pratt's favorite Raptor. Yes. You could have you could have something like that, and I think that uh, we, Deborah Gorgon is the <laughs> is the fan favorite Demogorgon. Yes, uh, I think that it's it's just such an interesting mention. Demi Gorgon, whose favorite movies are Demi Moore movies, you can tie in some eighties stuff there. Yeah, loves GI Jane, loves Ghost, loves Ghost. Those are really the main two that it has. Loves throwing on. pottery. They, they love running it on the Demi VD player yeah. <laughs> in, their, in their headquarters. Yeah. I, I think that yeah, it's, it's such an interesting mention. I hope that it's a it's a plot point, but that it's not entirely focused on and to answer your question i feel like it's not it's not too unbelievable for them to have like an in-house demogorgon that they do stuff to sort of like uh when they captured the ash from uh the mind flayer in the last season they were sort of like doing experiments on it to figure out exactly what it does in reaction to it although of course knowing these russians they could have very easily have opened the door and let a demogorgon out by accident they could have the Demon Morgan. Yeah. There's all sorts of different different permutations that we, we could have here. I don't know. Food for thought. Food for thought. They're going to grab uh, cattle prod. They're going to grab some of the, the green stuff. They're going to cause all sorts of shenanigans while Steve and Robin are, uh, are doped up on the truths, on the true-true, uh, which is really funny to see. They're like, I think it, it's not working. You guys you screwed up. I feel good. I feel great. Uh, I love how... Not only did, did did they keep answering the question of who do you work for, sincerely scoops, with Scoops Ahoy, scoops. Uh, but also the fact that Steve lampshades what we talked about last time of like, why would I be dressed like this if I didn't have to work there? Right, right. I just love that that line of who do you work for? And he just goes, Scoops. <laughs> I just love the line delivery there. And then he he, he totally narks on Dustin. He fully identifies Dustin Henderson. Uh, he's the kid with the great hair. He's going to be here any second. And of course, lo and behold, as he says that, the alarms go off, the acid through the floor, 
Dustin checks in. He's got <laughs> he's got the cattle pride. He comes charging in. He gets in the bed with the fearless leader. Fearless leader doesn't realize that he's in bed with him. Right. He treats him like a woman. <laughs> yeah. It's really classic stuff. Uh, we got to get Jason Alexander here in the Stranger Things universe. I feel like that's got to happen. He has to play Mr. Cl- Mrs. Cl- he has to play Mr. Clackety Clack. Yeah, Mr. Clackety Clack. He's also a train. <laughs> he's a human train as well. What's happening? I don't even know. Oh, my God. It, I know that this is going for a long time for you people if you're having to watch all of these or listen to these podcasts over the course off, of weeks. We have gone off the rails. But we're train, much train like the trains, <laughs> much like the trains that we're discussing here. Stranger trains are <gasps> occurring. Anyway, so they're, they've they busted the, the Russians, Dustin and the, the rest of the scooper troopers. Who knows what they're going to do next? But uh, momentum on their side for yeah, sure. I think that, you know, Steve, the first part Loving of his plan. The first so part, fun. The first part of his plan came true where he said Dustin would break in. I don't know if his, the rest of his plan about how he'd get Hopper and Hopper will call the government and the government will turn them into toast. Yeah. I, I'm not sure how much that will, if, if, they, if this ends up with those two guys turning into pieces of bread, I think then, only then, will I trust Steve Harrington's Well, prophecies. if it turns into, if the bread turns into breadsticks, then we're really in And then the it ends with Hopper yeah, eating them. Yeah, like, just uh, remove, like the final scene, like no post-credit will, no scene. No one will know what happened. He removes his dentures and just starts gumming the breadsticks of the of the Russians. No, Mrs. Driscoll gums the breadsticks. Oh, well, there's no Mrs. Driscoll oh, anymore by the, <laughs> by the end of this episode. Let's get into some of that stuff, uh, starting with everything that's going on with the party. Uh, Eleven is having so many nosebleeds. She has a, a huge pile of Kleenex. She's, uh, I, I feel her. like she needs like transfusions at this point, which too bad they left the hospital. It seems like it doesn't bother her too much, which I think is kind of stupid. I think that like the 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 the, the the fact that the, the nosebleeds don't seem to really stress her out, I do think, is a little bit frustrating. It would be it would be more. I don't know. I, I feel like we should see a little bit more of the of the power of that stuff. Yeah, because I think that the nosebleed. I mean, I don't know. You and I are so conditioned on the Charlotte nosebleed time sickness from Lost. Yes, that's that right. We think that some that means something's wrong. And I think, but it that wa- used to be like the signifier of the fact that like it was hard to do what she does. Yeah, and now she's just like, okay, it's fine. Yeah. I mean. I, I, yeah, it does, it does seem like we have yet to really see her physically exert herself to the point where, like, she really compromises herself. Even when she expended her power to close the gate last time, she had, like, collapsed, but then she was fine. Uh, maybe now that she sort of has gone up against the Mind Flayer, maybe she'll be more physically affected. But again, it goes back to what Mike is sort of uh, putting out here, which is her... Uh, everybody and the show at large has sort of been using her like a tool right. the past couple seasons when they need to realize that there are consequences to their actions. I just hope we actually see those consequences. I also do. I, I agree. It's interesting. You know, she's not necessarily a resource. She is a person. Yeah. So he's nervous because everybody, like like you say, it feels like they're using her as a tool. There's, you know, compelling arguments. You know, Mike is really, he's deeply concerned about her. Uh, he mm-hmm. reveals that he's in love with her. Woo! And everyone's like, wow, Mike. Oh, my goodness. Eleven, like, like shows up just at that moment. Uh, so that's a really, uh, really big deal. Uh, and Max is also putting up a good point, too. And everybody else is like, you got to trust Eleven. She's saved the world. You know, you got to give her more credit. You have, like, if she thinks that she can handle this. And that's even what Eleven says to Mike before she does the deeper dive because Billy apparently is just like chilling in his room because he's a crazy person. <laughs> Literally sitting there staring forward. I mean, I guess he's the mind flayer now. So he's probably got like, you know. But can, what happened to keeping up, you know, assumptions and like. Keeping up appearances. Yeah, exactly. Like, like shouldn't he be pumping iron well, or smoking but, cigarettes? You know, I was thinking about like, why is the mind flayer using Billy so much? And I think a big part of it is the intimidation factor that Billy is the most recognizable person that the Mind Flayer has flayed mm. thus far for the vast majority of the people in the party that they can all, you know, they all have some kind of attachment to him, whether it's because he's a peer of Nancy and Jonathan's or because he's Max's brother, uh, because he's, you know, uh, Lucas's, uh, you know, girlfriend's older brother, and so therefore someone to be terrified of, uh, and has since, like, because of all of these things, has had, like, encounters with the rest of the people, so he's on their radar, so it's useful maybe to, like, turn Billy, who already has some of this, like, primal rage, and it does seem like people, like, retain some measure of personality right. as they've been uh, flayed, like, not all of it, and they're still mostly under Mind Flare control, but there's still, like, bits of them. That seems to be fairly consistent, and if Billy's already such, like, a primal rage kind of guy, and he's being portrayed, and, like, he's been like pinned on as sort of this boogeyman type of creature for these people uh makes some sense to me so that like half him in his room would be a very unsettling thing and he would be the most readily available person for uh, for l to search for and if he's got this plan where he's going to lure her into a false sense of uh you know security and then grab her and and 
find a way to see her as a result, uh, it makes sense for him to just kind of park it, put it, put it in Rourke, as you'd like to say. <laughs> That's a great point, though. And I think that also from viewing Billy's flashbacks, which we're about to get into, I think the fact that he also is a surprisingly emotionally compromised person, you know, if we're talking about this idea of like even the Manchurian candidate and like, who do you pick for mind control? I feel like this is a good opportunity because like, Maybe he makes a better subject than Heather, for instance. He sort of combines that raw, bestial physicality yeah. with the fact that his mind is pretty supple and is willing to manipulate, considering how much his personality changed based on the circumstances in his life. You can imagine that there's a lot to manipulate there. So in more ways than one, he serves as a convenient uh, mouthpiece. Really interesting performance from Dacre Montgomery here. I He's was, a good actor. He's yeah, a really good actor. I, I was very confused as to why he was crying when talking to Eleven. I don't know if that was the Billy part, like, speaking out. And if that's the case, then his pleas to Max in the sauna, I yeah, think, were sincere. Exactly. And I like that. I I, I kind of—so I, I interviewed him once upon a time uh, for season two, and he talked about Billy with, like, the way that he plays him uh, with, like, a level of complexity that— didn't really come across in the character in season two, but I think in the way that he, like, he thinks about the character a lot, as an actor is wont to do. Like, he thinks about the way that he's playing that character. And so I, I imagine that the way that he's exploring Billy, like, you can imagine, like, that acting choice, right? Of, like, wanting to imbue him with some sense of tension and some sense of inner conflict and some sense of, like, I don't like the way that this is going. And I think that you can read it in the text of the show. Look at us talking all, uh, all, all fancy pants. When only about, 10 minutes ago, we were talking stra- about train <laughs> about, about stranger things. Uh, but I think that you can see it in the text as well in, ter- in terms of when, when Eleven is going through and like trying to find the source. And she's like going to go and she's going she's gonna to access Billy's mind. And he grabs her and she goes in. She goes to the beach, the memory in California, and sees his happiest memory and then sees the process of how he kind of became this monster, the one person he loved went away uh that his that his mom goes away for you know understandable reasons she's obviously being horribly abused by her spouse uh but he's left behind in the process of of what's a very complicated situation and that's going to mess him up dramatically tremendously uh and it's going to turn him into the monster that he becomes so i think that they they go out of their way in this episode to show you some emotional complexity to billy and if we're accepting the idea that there seems to be some level of humanity still left in the flayed, uh, then I think that we should, when Billy is crying, when he comes to, to L at the end of the episode, and he says, you shouldn't have looked for me because now I can see you. Now we can all see you. You let us in, and you're going to have to let us stay. Don't you see all this time we've been building it? We've been building it for you, all that work, all that pain, all of it for you. And now it's time, time to end it. And we're going to end you. And when you're gone, we're going to end your friends, and then we're going to end everyone and there is such pain on Dacre Montgomery's face as he's playing that scene and it it does come across to me as like there's like this double performance even as Mm. like the voice itself is doubled the way that they portray that that like they portray it like with sort of like this echo effect to represent like the words and like the mind flayer side and it's like the physicality is is representing what's going on with Billy and like this is like he's a scary person but this is even too scary for him um, so I really enjoyed all of that. Yeah. I'm deeply afraid for Elle and everybody else now that, you know, that this gigantic goo monster that's created, uh, at the end of this sequence when he, you know, he basically summons the rest of the flayed to the source. Mrs. Driscoll, she's a pool of muck. Yeah, uh, Heather is gone. Heather's mom is gone. David left those, David left those burgers burning. Uh, they're going to be hockey pucks. Uh, I was going to say, by the time he gets back, doesn't seem like he's going to get back. Poor Adam, the kid, his he's little miss, brother, he's miss the fireworks. his little brother looked so sad. I, that kind of broke my heart a little bit. That was good. Yeah, I, I'll admit, I... Good episode. I, I really like the ending. And I think I also, you know, I'm in a place where now, as a father of a son, I'll admit that, while luckily uh, I'm not nearly in the home situation that Billy was, those those memories really got to me and i'll admit that i was somebody who we saw shades of this last time in the season with billy and i was sort of like "Eh, i don't really care right i don't know it was something about this that really got to me and i really like the idea i like this new use of l's powers you know we saw it last season the reason why she got the idea is because she was reminded of when she went into terry ives memory to see right right what happened with her mother with the whole rainbow uh you know 450 etc etc and so i like this idea that l's also able to use her powers to like access flashbacks which is interesting because it feels like it's different than when she went to terry ives memory because terry ives i feel like she was 
almost like the pensive from Harry, another Harry Potter reference. She was like watching from afar the memories that Terry Ives was having. Here, Elle was like on the beach, like watching things happen in real time. It felt very different. And I don't know if that's because of the flayed aspect of it all. I realized that it was a very like overt metaphor of here's the storm and the source was the eye of the hurricane. You know, the the one place of refuge in this tempestuous mind of this very complicated character. But it was cool that like that like the mind flayer stuff was at the center of it. Yeah. Because it's like that's what's taken hold of Billy. But like there but it's but the, like the storm itself is the Billy part and that's what's at the core of the source of Billy, but the mind flare is just like drilled directly into the center of him. Yeah. But there's still a lot of center of Billy in there. Yeah, exactly. Well, it's like... It's good stuff. It's like Gotta, it, I'm giving the Duffers credit where it's due. Yeah, this they, is good they, stuff. And they found the source technically at the Steelworks, but you could say that everything around the source is at the actual source. Yeah. It's why Billy is the way that he is. We found the source behind his personality and why he became particularly influenced by this creature. So it's it's a weird sort of working of the the word as well. Nancy feels validated for saying the source about a million of times uh-huh, yeah, in the yeah. past two episodes. It's her new. Uh, he likes it cold. He likes it cold. I suppose. So I yeah, I just thought this was really well. Done. I thought the visual was really fun. You know, because everything takes place usually in you know Midwest small town. It was weird to see a beach. In, in Stranger Things, I know they film in Atlanta, so it's possible they could have just uh, taken a quick beach trip to film all that stuff. But it's cool that we had California represented, even if the Duffers don't feel like going that far outside of uh, of Indiana, considering the backlash behind Chapter 7 of last season. It's cool to see some differing environments. Just a lot of really interesting stuff that really expands on the characters, expands on the world of Stranger Things. I, I really have enjoyed these endings in particular the past few episodes. They really have me craving more. All right, well, speaking of craving more, we're about to take a big bite out of the bite. Uh, Chapter 7, the penultimate chapter of Season 3 of Stranger Things, is what's coming next. Mike, are you excited to take a bite out of crime? I mean, I am. Uh, I'm ready to... I am i don't know if... Uh, maybe maybe Klein hired McGruff, the crime dog, and that's why they're doing such a poor job is because he is a fictional character. Yeah. I'm not entirely sure, but... Yeah, now that essentially they have a big red X on 11, it's going to be a lot of running, I feel like, on both sides. One side running from the Russians, another side running from other Russians, and one side running from the monster. I can only imagine they collide in the middle, and then we face that battle of Starcourt, and it is sure to be epic in every sense of the word. All right, so we'll be back very soon with our recap of The Bite. A reminder, we want your feedback for that big feedback show at the end of the season as we are here in the home stretch post-show recaps. Dot com slash feedback is the way to do that. You can also tweet at us at post show recaps at a Mike Bloom type at round Howard. That's how you can contact us. Reminder to subscribe. Please subscribe. We would love to have you along for the ride here and all of the rides that we've got going on in post show recaps. The main feed is a great place to be. Uh, so su- subscribe to the main feed uh, as, as you will on your podcast platforms of choice or post show recaps dot com slash stranger things is also a way to do it. We would love your ratings and reviews. Uh, anything else, Mike, before we uh, take a bite out of the bite? I just want to say, Josh, I love being your schmuck. I love you being my schmuck. All right. Time to get into the bite. We will be back very soon with more Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> 